Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio and tonight we're going to be joined by Adam Gee and we're going to be talking diamond pythons and blue tongue skinks and crazy colubrids and probably Halmahara pythons and all kinds of stuff. Um, I met met Adam in uh, Tinley Park and we were talking about uh, getting diamond pythons to feed and, you know, breeding them and some of the... Uh, what the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm dropping my microphone is what's happening. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, Pretend I'm not here. Okay. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it should be should be a good show because he works. He's worked with some you know over the time he's worked with some weird stuff, and he also currently works with some uh, you know very rare lizards and stuff like that. So should be a good show. Should be uh, a lot of cool stuff. We're talking about diamond pythons a lot as of late. It's kind of uh, kind of crazy, but. You said boy, yeah. diamond people are falling from the sky all of a sudden. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention this at the beginning of the show. Uh, if you're interested in listening to us, you can now listen on Spotify. We are now on Spotify. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> so, um, if you have the Spotify app, you can put in Morelia Python Radio, and we will come up, and you can listen to the Sweet. podcast. So, <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, what's, what's up with you since you had your week off, uh, week suspension. Yeah. For not <laughs> talking about guitars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, no, it was, it was a, a, a good week and, um, what's going on here, dude, it's like nothing. I mean, I'm waiting for eggs and I'm like, you know, when you're on the cusp and it's like, these girls are probably gravid and they're all showing me the right signs, but they're not showing me enough of the right signs. So I don't know what the hell's going on here. And it's like we're in that limbo where I haven't yet gotten to where uh, these females are due. Like they haven't passed their due dates yet. Like we're still within after the 30 days after their last shed. So but mm-hmm. we're getting close. So I'm like anticipating. And the first one up is my Woma. And she's been like three days. I'm like, she's not gravid. And then like two days, I'm like, all right, she's totally gravid. And then like three days, I'm like, she's, she's not. And then. Okay, she probably is. So it's back and forth stuff. So that's what's going on here is going mildly insane. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see. Oh, you you weren't going to talk about your addition? Or no, is that we're gonna we're okay. gonna talk. You want to do it? You want to do it now? <laughs> sure. You make, you make me do this. You make me do this. Yes. It, it's not ball pythons. <laughs> no, no, it is not. I got a very lovely pair of retics. Um, dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 Garrett, like, you know, if, if Garrett's listening, he's going to fall over. Like, you know, yes. It's, um, uh, I, 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 it's a piebald male and a het pied female. So uh, I'm, it's a morph project retic. And it's like, why? <laughs> yeah, Why <are> these here. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just was a thing. So yeah, that that happened. See what happens when I skip NPR for a week. I do insane I things. Do. I, I is, told it, you, it, man. It, it behooves me to not 
like leave here. I need to yes. stay put where where I'm safe. <laughs> yes, you will and, not. And I, can, and I can be monitored. Yeah, it's like. Uh, but yeah, so um, I'm enjoying them, and it means that now I have like three reticks, and, and my fear is that I'm gonna become like that guy, <laughs> that, that, that retic reader. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't want to be, so I need to. I need to make sure I don't go way too far into it. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not selling my entire collection for retics, so that's. There I would not go. let you do that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would definitely talk you out of that. Move. Um, but that's cool. I come in my room with the intervention, like banner, and everybody be sitting yeah. down. <laughs> that's, like, that's that's why we're getting together this weekend, man. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> down with you. I knew it. It's gonna be Joe, like, Matt, Melissa. Intervention, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Knew yep. it. Owen, you know, what? you've always been a friend to me and um I see your <laughs> I see your spending uh, 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 money on retic. What's what's that A and E show? Like, you know, I can't wait for my episode. Intervention. To come out. Yeah, you go. It's gonna be great. Oh uh, they won't so, know why they're there filming me. So yeah. Yeah. So huh. um I would – I'm just going to throw this out real quick. So we're waiting for Adam to come on. He'll be on about, you know, 9.15 or whatever. But cool. uh, last uh, – did you listen to last week's episode at all? No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. You – actually, I was going to say, so I, got, I had a lot of people, like, contact me and said it was really, really good episode. But um, – Because I was no. like how all my snakes sell when I'm not near them. <laughs> no. We had that no, conversation. Owen, like, it, it had to do with the guest. Oh, uh, but right, uh, I'm sorry. Dan, uh, yeah, he uh, he was a really really interesting guy, and just he's been keeping snakes for sixty years. Um, I so, love those episodes. Yes, mm, figures. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend if you haven't uh, checked it out, you should give it give I, it a listen. I gotta, I gotta. It's on my list of because I started to, to take a page from your book and listen to more like podcasts and i find myself enjoying a lot of the other reptile podcasts and i have to the problem is i can never listen to my own voice so yeah. uh if you're telling me there's an npr episode that i'm not involved with totally because i listened <laughs> to you your episode of the hope to hurt the culture podcast and you know and that was hilarious um, yeah. especially what we were doing to a koala. I mean, that I, we'll talk about that later, but, yeah. um, it was, uh, but that it happens in Australia stays in Australia. It stays there that you don't ever talk about that again. No. So, and it's, and it just kind of pushed it on to, I'm starting to download more. And of course it's like, uh, listen to the, from the ground up. So I, I would, I, I, I will get to it. I will swing back around and listen to mm. our own podcast. I download yes, them. Yeah. I just don't listen to them. <laughs> I want to boost fair our enough. numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah. We're really getting pushed over the edge by you downloading the episode every you week. Damn like, right. The... You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. So for me, uh, what's weird is this season in particular has been has been nuts. And I sort of am like, I was, you ever get to the point where you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't think anything's going to happen, you know, every year, like not, every year. Yeah. You listen yeah. to me every year. Yeah. <laughs> you but, know, I get to that point, but we're almost in April, you know, yeah. like I usually say that maybe in January, you know, but yeah, April, but... Eh, that's getting a little late. 
Anyway, right, when do you when do you call it? Like when do you say like nothing's happening? Pull them apart. I now? did. I pulled Ish. them apart. Well, I did. I did. I did a couple <laughs> weeks ago. But, but wait, this is actually okay. not a bad story. It's a good story. Okay. <clears throat> so I've been kind of just kind of um, like not really since they're not breeding. I'm not paying attention mm. to them as much. You know, just going through right. the, you know feeding and or, or cleaning and and giving water and stuff like that. So yeah. um, I go through and I I start cleaning my adults yesterday. So. I pull out the striped jungle and oh mm-hmm. geez, freaking gravid is all hell. So inverted, like, full, huge, yeah. Oh yeah, she's in prelay shed. So nice. um she's thick as a brick. So I'm gonna have um I guess we would call them lightning line or Terry Phillips line or whatever. Mm. Um beautiful striped jungles. Uh, so hopefully you get some awesome stripes out of that. And then what was even more mm-hmm. exciting was mm-hmm. uh, I opened the uh, the cage above it, and there's the gelatin girl, and oh. she's thick as a brick. So you would just did I close my eyes and you became a jungle breeder? Like you know I, what's I up guess with this? So, man. <laughs> <laughs> this season is full of jungles. So is this know. is this what you're gonna do? You're gonna do one year IJ, next year jungle, <laughs> following year yeah. coastals. It's like you know. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Um, I don't want to flood well, the market, man. You know, so. uh, that's a good point. I mean, I, I also it's good because you don't have to worry about anything selling because you just you're not going to repeat pairs. Um, yeah. The other good thing I have for you is that the the stonewash here has been all over my proven female bread lie, and I keep catching them locked. And mm. like she throws like thirty something eggs, so you'll get a nice you know half a clutch of fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. There we go. It's like it's like a Can whole I say bread, bread, bread lie then. Like, ooh, look, my it, bread it, lie. I'll give you that. I'll give you that if you give me that I bread I Jason because having bail into it. Never. Oh, then then here we are. I we are not. in pass. Yes. This is what I felt like on the diamond page yesterday. But anyway. Um. Uh, I'll tell you about that later. I didn't talk to yeah, you about please. that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so uh, it, at the very least, I will have two clutches uh, for the season. So at least it's Isn't not a total kind loss. Of... <laughs> no, Scott, we're not talking about it anyway. But um, the uh... – <laughs> get out of here, Scott Borden. Um, the, I mean, you had a killer year last year. So yeah. it's two – is two clutches really a horrible thing? Because there's also there are two things that, like I said, it, it's not like you had. It's not like these are two IJs that you bred last year going again. It's like this is some new stuff to pile on. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I thought you'd be taller. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's, I get that all the time. <laughs> That's actually that's actually the um it's actually a good depiction of our first meeting right there. So yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah, so Gelatin Jungles is probably the one I'm most excited about. That 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 will be uh that'll be pretty badass if I can uh Well that you know that's awesome. And then to be honest, I I think there's going to be depending on how many pairs you got I would not be shocked if you're like, yeah, two clutches and you're like, where the hell did these eggs come from? Like there's always might be that sneaky girl that's kind of 
comes out with like a clutch of like four that you weren't yeah. expecting. Yeah. Well, I think the poison ivy stuff is that way, but the girl, yeah. um, mm. I don't know. It just they're usually they're usually laid and they're almost patching by now. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, well, I don't know. Let me let me put it this way. Normally, Balin has contacted like uh, 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 Facebook was doing that like on this date, such and such years ago, uh, mm-hmm. this week and yesterday. It showed me a picture of that IJ with Balin grab it as all hell from two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then she laid like, and then like, I think it was, I think it's probably going to end up being tomorrow is there's going to be the picture of her, of, of her on the eggs. So we're still in the realm of really late Papuans. So maybe you're still in there, but who knows? Right. Yeah. I mean, normally That's I have, a, normally I have a coastal clutch on the ground by now. Right. Yeah. But you don't. <laughs> I don't. What's going on? There's not it's a, a weird. There's a not weird a single one. freaking egg here. Not a single <laughs> one. Yeah. Losers. <laughs> Lose. If I don't have eggs by Easter, I will flip. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the rule? <laughs> that's usually the rule. And also, it's like normally I get like, if I ever have a straggler coastal clutch that like comes out of the blue, it, nine times out of ten it pops up at Easter. Or it's like they lay it in August, and I'm like, where the hell did these come from? Like, that's – it's usually by the end of April, I know where I'm sitting with a lot of my females. So Yeah. Yeah, um, that was the other thing. I don't know if I told you this, but um, I, I don't have it yet, but I'm probably going to have a female rough scale python, which is pretty that's cool. That's fine. You're getting oh, cool. it from – Yeah. Well, that's – yeah, I, I, I'm totally <laughs> – I'm down with that. That's my boy. <laughs> so, yeah. In a roundabout way, you're welcome. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> oh and, boy. Uh, no, never. I, you cut my arm off first. Anyway, so but no, right, enough. Cool. Are you are you what? excited for that, the Ruffy? I will be. I I mm. will be when it's here. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. I think it's one of those ones that, like, I'll probably go goo goo when it's like in my snake room. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh shit, that's if a rough be scale python. Like, if you're gonna be anything like me, you're gonna be like, it's made of glass, and I shan't look at it sideways, otherwise I'll kill it. So, yeah. <sighs> no, I, I'm not gonna get that way. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll see. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Let's get Adam on here. Let's get this going. Hey, Adam, welcome to Morelia Python Radio. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me tonight. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, Adam, we usually start the show off like every other show and all the other crap. Um, how? What got you into reptiles? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think I have a pretty uh, typical story uh, like most of us. Uh, I, you know... From day one, I always had an interest in animals, uh, whatever it may be, you know, going to the zoo and looking at stuff and and all that. And then, uh, but there was definitely a moment that uh, that stood out that really triggered the reptile part of it, I think. And uh, I can uh, definitely recall around, I, I think it was five years old, I uh, I had a birthday party with, uh, you know, a reptile birthday party. They come to your mm-hmm. house with uh, all the different stuff. And uh, I remember, like, the first half of it, it was, like, 
rabbits and guinea pigs and hamsters. And I'm like, I'm the birthday boy. And I'm sitting there like all upset. Like, what is this? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then sure enough, uh, the woman takes out a, uh, which now I, I now know is a desert King, a Splendida. And, and she hands it right to me. Cause you know, that's what I've been waiting for the whole day. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just crawling all over me and, you know, it ended up crawling up through the sleeve with my long sleeve shirt. And, and as a five-year-old kid, I just thought that was the most amazing thing I've ever done, you know. And and it was from there, and, and that was it. I never looked back. And uh, and from there, it went, uh, you know, I think my, my mom got me uh, little baby red-eared sliders from Chinatown. Uh, <laughs> I'm right near New York City, so uh, we always had easy access to those, you know. Um, you'd walk down the street, you know, walk down Canal Street in New York City in, in the 90s, and there would be, like, kiddie pools filled with thousands of baby red ears, you know. <laughs> and I think they were probably, like, a dollar or two dollars at the time. And uh, so, so you know, I got some of those, and, and uh, you know, we kept them in a fish tank and, you know, in the living room, and everybody looked at them. And, again, I, I thought that was the neatest thing. You know, I'd, I'd run home from school and, look forward to feeding them little dried krill or something, you know? Um, and it, it just quickly evolved from there. Uh, I, I will say, I think my mother's to blame. She would, uh, always bring home like little newts and stuff like that from the pet stores. Uh, I had, uh, we had African claw frogs for a long, long time. Um, so really it just got started that way. And then, Eventually in kindergarten or seven years old, something like that, I just became obsessed with snakes. I said, you know, I told my parents, I want a snake. I want a snake. I want a snake. And uh, I was relentless and eventually uh, got my wish. And uh, I think uh, my mother picked up a 10-gallon tank with two ribbon snakes from uh, Petland. Uh, she she didn't want to uh, set up the uh, snakes for me and everything, so she said, just give me the whole tank. And, you know, I'll give that to him. And, you know, they sent her home with a bag of goldfish. <laughs> and uh, long story short, those snakes never ate goldfish, of course. And uh, they probably lived about a day or two past that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, but that, that, was, that was it. I was hooked, you know. I was full-on hooked at that point. And uh, fast forward to uh, 12 years old. I uh, bred and sold my first corn snake. That's awesome. And it's been uh, it's been ongoing from there. This will be my 17th consecutive year breeding and selling. Jesus! Wow, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, um, I I don't think I'm up that far. I think I'm only like in 10 or something like that. But Jesus, that's great. I I jumped into the breeding really quick. I. The, the first time I produced corn snakes, it was not planned at all. Uh, I just had two, <laughs> two pet corn snakes that I wanted to keep in one cage, you know. And uh, yeah. being corn snakes, of course, come springtime, they produced. They got a nice clutch. And sure enough, in the summer, they laid another clutch. And, uh, you know, they were easy to uh, to hatch and all that. But by then, I was already, you know, on you know a, a slew of forums already. And, uh, you know, I was researching how to incubate eggs and, you know, mm-hmm. how, how to feed babies. And, you know, I just was fascinated by all that. Like, I, it was almost an obsession, you know. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot, a lot of people can relate to that. But oh, yeah, yeah. That, those corn snakes, you know, uh, that was it. I was off and running, and it's funny. I think to this day, I I don't think I've went a year without producing corn snakes. <laughs> they they're they're still to this day one of my favorite species uh, all around. Um, awesome. Yeah, from there, you know, uh, like I said, I was I was selling reptiles in middle school. I I can remember. <laughs> bringing in, like, uh, hatching baby anoles and bringing them in for the teachers, you know? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it just uh, spiraled from there, you know? And, and luckily, in 2006, uh, you know, I was starting to really grow the collection, get some, some neat stuff. By then, I was uh, breeding Ackies and you know, bearded dragons, leopard geckos, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was getting pretty serious with it, you know, uh, going to every local show, you know, spending as much as I possibly had in my pocket. Um, and as uh, fate would have it, uh turns out um, Dave Prada of uh, Komodo um, yeah. happened, to, happened to be uh, one mile from my house. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's dangerous. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe I can blame him uh, for all this. <laughs> yeah. I would. But uh yeah, I started I started working for Dave in uh 06. Uh and as a, at the time as a, a 16-year-old kid getting thrown in with uh scrub pythons and you know, an amazing <laughs> chondro collection and you know, just to name a few. That was uh that was, you know, that was really what it took to just propel me forward, you know, in this uh, hobby and, and as a career, you know. He was pretty successful breeding scrubs, right? I mean, he did. Uh, there was that Prada line, so clearly something had to come out of there. Yeah, so, right. yeah. yeah. We, uh, we produced uh, Barnecks every year. Uh, shoot, Jesus. I can remember four years uh, with me, and he did it at least four years before me. Um so yeah, very consistent with the scrubs. Very consistent what? with the uh chondros. It was mm. it was amazing amazing experience to just jump into that stuff, you know. What was the what was the secret sauce for him? Like what <laughs> what made him Tell us all successful? his secrets right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I definitely want to touch go into detail more on this later, but uh honestly it's like uh, uh lack thereof, you know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, leave, leave them alone. Feed them very, uh, very not frequently, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's really it. I mean, uh, if I had to really put my finger on it, I would say that we never, ever, ever handled stuff ever. Like there was no picture taking going on. There was none of that, you know. <laughs> uh, and and honestly, I think that. That has a huge role with some of these uh, shyer or more shy uh, species. I would agree. I never, I never even thought of that. Like the taking a picture, like yeah, <laughs> never, never even. Yeah, I think like, you know any any kind of uh, outside influence is is going to be a stressor for them. You know. Sure. Um, I, I think I uh, more so uh, with big snakes, it's a little bit different, but. A lot of reptiles, they have that um, ingrained predator versus prey mentality. You know, if you're bigger and lumbering over them, you're a predator, you know. 
Um, regardless right. if we're scared shitless of them or not. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I'd love to uh, touch some more on that stuff uh, in a little bit because I think sure. uh, yeah. there's definitely some some uh, um, interesting things that we did differently uh, from other people and, and still had success, you know. Cool. Totally. Right. Um, can you can you walk us through what your collection looks like? now and uh which one like some of your some of your some of your highlights some of your favorite guys yeah yeah for sure so uh to start uh i would i think it was in 07 uh mm-hmm. when i decided uh i was going to go full time with reptiles that was going to be my career choice um i rented a warehouse space and i decided volume was the answer so i <laughs> i picked up Everything and anything that was uh, common and, and not too pricey at the time. So I, I ran the gamut on all the corns, milks, kings, uh, you know, all those colubrids. Um, uh, and then I and and I just started really uh, cranking that stuff out and got uh, burnt out on the volume. I was like, this is not fun when I'm doing it 40 hours a week, you know. And and I ditched all that stuff. Um you know, I, I was successful with them. I, you know, I, I enjoyed every bit of it. I like all those species as much as the next. Um, right. But then, you know, I realized I, I wasn't, uh, it took the fun out of it for me. So that's when I started really getting into the different stuff. Right. Um, and uh, I really, I picked up some really nice stuff back then that, of course, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm kicking myself for getting rid of now. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> you know, just oh, dude, if I can have happy animals back, dude. <laughs> oh, like, oh, yeah. It, it's amazing, you know? But, you know, it's around 07, 08, uh, yeah, I had like some Tanzania and, and Cuban boas and and Damn. stuff like that. <laughs> I just, uh, I really missed working with that stuff. And I, you know, eventually I'll get back to it. But, um, so that's really how I started. Um, focusing on the uh, less common stuff you know uh, i got burnt out on the common stuff and had to find my interest elsewhere you know right that's cool so uh so yeah so fast forward to today uh i really i i always tell people uh it actually bugs me when people say uh you know what are you keeping <laughs> i keep everything <laughs> okay <laughs> I've Is it easier to say what you don't keep? <laughs> yeah, there's a smaller <laughs> list. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- you know, uh, right now, uh, this year I'm looking at some really nice um, red calico Amazon pairing. Um, uh, my basin female just ovulated, so she's good to go. Um, nice, cool. Got uh, doing some colubrid still. I've got uh, some some hognose morphs some corn snake morphs still. Um, as far as uh, unusual colubrids, uh, this year will be my first year producing um, royal diadems, uh, Sparolophus uh, atriceps, diadema atriceps, um, which are the, uh, the Asian um, species of diadems. So you have the Egyptians, uh, which are pretty common, Northern African diadem uh, rat snakes, and then these mm-hmm. are out of like uh, Pakistan, India. Oh, okay. Huh. So those I'm those I'm really looking forward to actually. That's probably one of my highlights of this uh this season. Yeah, they're cool. That's very cool. Um, so 
And then, you know, a lot of, a lot of different lizard projects going on. Blue tongues, uh, some gastrofolis, some stanosaura, a little bit of everything. <laughs> they keep you busy. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> yes. yes. I, I That's like good. To, uh, I like to always try to keep a balance of like different, uh, oh, what's the word? Like genres, so to speak, you know? Um, right. Right. Because I, I don't. I don't favor one more than another, you know. I really don't have favorites, so to speak. And uh, and for me, um, a lot of the snakes, um, even though I like them as a species, the actual reproduction process, the breeding process, is kind of cookie cutter, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. To, to an extent, to an extent, there's of course exceptions out there, but um, again, you know, it's a little cookie cutter over time, and so I like to have the Colubrids and the lizards uh, to offset that a little bit to really spark my interest because I think they take a little more attention to really be in tune with them, you know. Yeah. How? I mean, do you do all this yourself, or how do you how do you yeah, juggle yeah. all these? Um, absolutely. To be honest, I mean, my collection is not as large as a lot of people think. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Not, you know, not including balls, uh, maybe a hundred snakes. Uh, okay. So it's not not crazy. Of course, uh, you know, at times I I have a lot of balls with with babies and everything, but um, yeah, it's it's not crazy. Um, I do uh keep reptiles in three different locations. <laughs> okay. okay, that's. That was going to be my next question. How do you balance out all the different, like, you know, yeah. temperature requirements? Yeah, and... that, that can be um, tricky. That can be tricky. So, essentially, I have uh, I have a part of my collection in my basement. I have mm-hmm. my collection in our Komodo shop. And I mm-hmm. have part of my collection in a, another warehouse space I rent just for quarantine. Oh, oh wow. Nice. Yeah. Whoa. Well, yeah. You know you're legit, man. When you have a when you have a quarantine space building. for quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> quarantine room, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with with dealing with this oddball stuff, a lot of it is fresh imports. You know. Yeah. Right. And, sure. And there's just no chance in hell I'm risking bringing these things into my collection. You know that I've had for so long. Um, and it got so, so frustrating having to turn away all these interesting animals. That was like uh, enough's enough. I just need a room just for quarantine. <laughs> right. Jeez. <laughs> That's awesome. So, but I mean, <clears throat> for most of us, we have our own system in place. But what's your system uh, for quarantine? Like, how, how do you yeah, do it? So, like, uh, whatever comes in stays in there for a certain amount of time, and for sure. So, uh, I definitely have a being that it's its own separate room. Uh, uh-huh. I'm able to speed up the, speed up the process slightly. Um, as far as external parasites go, um, uh-huh. so I literally, when I started renting this warehouse space for quarantine, I literally sprayed the entire room in preventamite. I mean, <laughs> ceiling, every table in there, every shelf in there, every tub in there, everything is, has a coating of preventamite on it. Yep. So, so if I have something that's been in there for, two months and it's cleaned up by now and I get something new in the mice or whatever can't travel, you know? Right. They, right. They, they can't spread. Um, 
And and one thing I'm going to point out with the preventamite, um, it's important that you you treat it very cautiously. It's extremely strong stuff. Uh, right. But as long as you uh, use it, you know, with a well ventilated area and you're letting it fully dry before anything's exposed, um, it's super safe. So one thing I like to do, uh, especially, is I'll I'll usually um, go around the room and like spray the uh, the legs of the table, or the you know the bottom edges of the racks, or the casters that racks are on, because if a mite does happen to make it across the floor or something, which I'm telling you is literally impossible in this room, I I drop a cricket and it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> But even if it could, I always like to tell people, spray the legs of your stuff that has contact with the floor, you know? And right. also, um, a little trick I always use is I take, like, a uh, a waxing pad for, like, uh, buffing your car or something, mm-hmm. and I spray Preventamite on that. And then what I do is I take that, and I'll just wipe it along the, the lip of the tubs. Okay. So... So oh. no, and if there's if there's air holes in the tub, I'll go around the outside of the air holes on the outside of the tub. So that way, any entry point for a mite is coated with preventamite. They can't pass through it. If they do, they're gonna die really quickly. Right. Right. That's actually so a that's good really idea. Old, I like that idea. Yeah, that's what yeah. I do for uh, the external parasites. And in the meantime, if something. Uh, noticeably has mites, you know, like, uh, I can't remember the last thing I got with them, but, you know, it happens. Some people get right. it. Sure. Yeah. So if I notice it, like, blatantly, I'll actually make it a point to um, basically wash the animal every day or every other day. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that actually speeds up the process considerably. Um, I... To play it safe, I wait six months or so, regardless. Um, right. But i've I've seen I've seen things get cleaned up like within ten days just by having the room treated and just by washing the animal. Um, huh. Obviously, I, I would not recommend uh, going off that. <laughs> but, uh, but like I said, that preventamite is powerful stuff, and if you use it right, it really it really makes life easy. Are you when you say washing the animal, you're just soaking it, or what? What do you mean? By no, that? no, I mean yeah. physically washing it, like getting under the you know the common places mites like to hide. So you know, wash their eyes, wash the chin, you know. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Head, okay. You know, really uh, huh. get in there and scrub them down with you know just just water, but really really wash them off, you know. Okay. Right. Huh. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, external parasites. Uh, Internal, I'll be the first to tell you, I I don't believe in uh, in doing fecals and stuff like that. Uh, I like to on on stuff that comes in a little rough, some fresh imports. Um, if they are a heat tolerant species, I'll boost the temps a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll I think it's very very important um, when these animals are battle battling um, parasite loads. I think hydration and nutrition is extremely important. Um, yeah, and, and uh, sometimes the food not so much, but hydration—that's your make or break with that stuff, you know. Um, so soaking, soaking is definitely important, you know, regardless of whether they had mites or not. 
I'll soak mm-hmm. just for hydration purposes uh, with very, very few exceptions. Uh, there's some arid species that just don't drink water, you know, like literally <laughs> don't drink water. Right. Um, and there's also, you know, some stuff that's just super wiry and would just get stressed to death if you were soaking it every day, you know. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do that. Yeah. yeah, I'm helping you. Please. It's like, no. Nah. <laughs> so, yeah. I get totally, that. Uh, the internal parasites, to me, is, is just a waiting game. You know, just, right. just wait them out and make sure everything looks freaking good. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, really looking at their at their poop, you know. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. We know what we all know what healthy snake poop looks like, or healthy bearded dragon poop. You know, sounds right. crazy, but you, you gotta you gotta know what that stuff looks like if you're gonna judge the health of an animal. You know. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I study snake poop. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> our non-reptile friends are gonna be like, what? <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Forget those people, you know. They already think we're weird, you know. <laughs> Jesus, so true, so true, guys, so true. Uh, awesome. So, um, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, so, just like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, I remember talking to you at Tinley about, you know, um, getting diamond pythons to feed and how tricky they could be uh, when they're babies and getting them going. So, um, you know. I thought it would be a good topic to talk about because I, I love what you said. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Are you currently yeah. keeping diamonds or, or is that yeah, something ab- that you've had? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't have my original adults anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a, uh, a holdback female from 2014 and I have a holdback pair of reduced patterns from 2015 uh, currently. Okay. So oh, hopefully nice. uh, uh, next year should be uh, working on some F2s. Um, nice. Awesome. Yeah, so that. But, um, age-wise, what do you shoot for? I know we'll get into yeah, breeding so in a minute. I, but I, when, I first, uh, when I first bred them, uh, I got 2009 babies from Tom Crutchfield. Uh, okay. And they produced for the first time in 14, 2014. So they were about five okay. years old. Five years old. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Uh, now, I will say my original uh, female was extremely small, extremely small. Um, I don't know why I fed her as I do everything else. Um, but when she bred for the first time in 2014, she mm-hmm. was probably maybe five feet long. Maybe. <laughs> Oh wow! Really, okay. really small. It's this tiny and, and for she, a diamond. And she laid a, she laid a hundred percent perfect clutch of I think it was eighteen eggs. Really? Um, per- yep. Um, wow. And that and those that went like literally, it literally went textbook. I mean, she ate like a beast. Uh, the male was all over. She, you know, blew up follicles. You know, ovulated and boom, nice perfect pearly whites. You know. Um, That's awesome. When I, I, I will say I, I raised her uh, on the cooler side, you know. Um, in fact, they were actually, those might have been the first the first species I produced in cages, actually, mm-hmm. versus rats. Okay. okay. Um, and, and the only reason I did that 
was because when I got diamonds, that was my uh, that was what really sparked my interest. That is the fact that they were such active baskers. Uh, mm-hmm. I really I really looked at them from a lizard approach. Um, okay. So right off the bat, I I started them right away in uh, bars bar style caging, uh, and I basically just did like a pile of cork bark with a 60 watt incandescent bulb over top, um, and put it on a 12 hour timer. Um, I I think the ambient at that time I was keeping my collection pretty cool, so I think my ambient was getting down to like. 55 in the winter um oh wow yeah yeah pretty cold but (laughs) but even with that with that cold ambient um you know they still had access to i would say the basking spot got to like 95 or so you know Mm -hmm. and they would use it religiously every morning when those lights flicked on they woke up or or you know they crawled right up on top of that cork bark right under the light every single morning and they would warm up and move up, move off the cork, and then they would hide, you know? Um, right. And, yeah, I and noticed I think, the same uh, thing. Oh, okay, go ahead. cool, cool. No, and, uh, and yeah, and just um, really I just kept them like I would a lizard, you know? Light goes on in the morning, they bask, they do what they do all day long. Light goes off at night, you know? Um <laughs> I, Use the light while it's here. It's like, yeah, done. Yeah, yeah <laughs> literally. I mean, I mean, that's how they function in the wild, you know? They seek out little spots of sun and take it when they can get it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I I like to believe, I think diamonds are, are one of the best suited um, reptiles I've found to really um, take advantage of that. You know, you just look at their color and, and pattern. It's a... Uh, you really can't can't help but imagine them just sitting in the sun, sitting in the in the jungle or whatever, soaking up the sun, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't really, you don't really see that with many other snakes that are really looking for sun, you know. Like the best burping yeah. days are overcast, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't want to be out in that heat, you know. But it, they, yeah, it's like exactly. diamonds seem to like want it, you know. Yeah, Them and Bullens, sure. it's like they go seek heat, but they're also like the darkest pythons I think you can get. And it's like that, if it's jet black, I want sun. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it gener- generally speaking, uh, you know, darker colored herps come from colder climates. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and I I think it's important to note though the difference between a cooler climate. And a, and a warm basking spot because I think a lot of people um, they kind of consider it the same thing. Ambient temperature and surface temperature is probably one of the most important aspects of reptile keeping, in my opinion. Right. Um, and I I really picked up on that um, back in the day on the king snake forums from uh, Frank Reedus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, like you know, hate him or love him, he made you think, you know. And, oh, and hell he yeah. always, yeah, absolutely. And and he would always, you know, go outside on a you know a, a a summer night or something with a temp gun, and you know the the road would still be like 150 degrees, you know. And, right. and that really that really stuck with me 
um, at first, uh, it was more applicable for me with dealing with the lizards, you know, dealing with hot basking spots and creating, you know, cool end and hot end and, you know, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, right. But then once, you know, once I realized that that was fully applicable to the snakes, of course, whether you keep them in racks or cages, um, you're still, you still need to provide a, an appropriate, uh, parameter of, of temperatures, you know? Um, but I think, I think a lot of people, uh, don't understand that you could have a hundred, 150 degree basking spot, say, and, a and a 65 degree cool end. Oh yeah. And it'll work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like let, let them choose what temperatures they want. Um, right. I, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't own a thermometer. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what temperature I keep my stuff at other than the temperature that the thermostats are set at, you know? Sure. Um, I know things are warm. I know things are hot. I know things are cool. And I'd right. like to provide a little bit of mix of everything and let the animals choose what suits them best. You know, um, I will say there, there obviously is a, uh, a limit to that. You know, I think when I was keeping things um, particularly cool ambient temperature wise for my diamonds, uh, I noticed some negative side effects on some other stuff, you know, um, sure. just couldn't, couldn't take the temperatures. Um, so I, I currently keep my ambient room temp at about 69, 68, 69. Um, in the summer, it'll get super hot, you know, maybe, uh, low to mid eighties tops. Um, okay. and I, I, I really don't like a ambient temp, ambient room temp past that. I think that's getting into the danger zone a little bit. Um, okay. And, and even, and so, so like I said, when I kept things cooler, uh, it was great for the diamonds, not so good for other stuff. So then I, I backtracked and now I keep my diamonds in, um, I raised the babies in a rack system. Uh, right. Now that they're older, they're in boa file cages. Um, okay. So they have uh, belly heat, no lights, um, and and to be honest, they seem to do perfectly as well. You know. Yeah, they seem like they're uh, pretty hardy snakes. You know, they're gonna adapt to as long I, as they can I, warm I, up. They're uh, they're gonna be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're very adaptable. Uh, and I think I think that speaks for itself in their broad range. You know, they live in some pretty rough places, and they live in some pretty paradise-looking places. You know. Yeah. Um, I had so the I same thing. I, oh, go ahead. No, no, go go for it. No, I was going to say I had the same experience with keeping a bunch of stuff in the same room, and you know, like you bring just when I went into breeding season, typically my room will get down into you know, 70 degrees for my carpet pythons is, is nothing, you know, at night, as long yeah. as they can heat up during the day. But there were other species that they just could not handle that at all. Like short tails, yeah. they just, they, they, it was no go, you know, <laughs> yeah. they didn't like it at all. So. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and even, and even from there, I think it, it really um, boils down to uh, the particular animals. And what I mean by that is, um, uh, how can I put this? I think I think if you raise a neonate in your environment, it's gonna 
thrive in that environment for the rest of its life. Right. So, yes. If, if you were to send me that animal that's thriving for you, and even though I am giving it proper conditions temperature-wise or what have you, it might not adapt to these conditions. And it's not ready I, for I, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think their systems become so used to one way, so to speak, that they just can't adapt later in life. And I had a big issue with that. Um, years ago, I I got into the uh, albino carpet um, project pretty early. And okay. uh, I had gotten um, – I started with just a het female. And I grew up, you know, and, and she was – she was not great, you know. She she was not wasn't the best feeder and and uh, just slow to grow and you know she gave me lots of slugs and all that kind of stuff. But right, it took I I had to go through um, three or four males until I got one that that wouldn't get all messed up in my in my room. Um, every time I would buy an adult male uh, het carpet head albino carpet and, and bring them here and, you know, after quarantine and bring them here and get them ready for the breeding season, they just wouldn't make it. And, and it, I have to think it was completely attributed to, um, they just never been exposed to these kind of temperatures before, um, mm-hmm. from the versus the people I got them from that had like a, a bowed only room. And it was like, you know, 75, 80 degrees constantly, you know, mm-hmm. right. Uh, and they just couldn't adapt, and they just didn't make it. And eventually, I had to uh, get a, a young one and, and raise it up, you know. And that one did that one did excellent. Um, that that project is a, a whole nother story. But <laughs> 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 yeah, they're they're a pain in the ass to get going too. But you know, <laughs> oh yeah, That's absolutely. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, to uh, to answer your question. With all these different species, how does it work? Um, mm. Yeah, in general, I just like, uh, like I said, my ambient temperature is what it is. So I, I just really focus on creating like uh, microclimates for these things within the tub or within the cage. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and that's why actually I am not, um, I won't say I, I, I strive away from using cages, but uh, an upside to using tubs, I should say, is being that they're generally um, less tall than a cage is, you have uh-huh. so much less airspace to control the temperature of. Right. Um, you know, air sucks when it comes to keeping these guys. If you have a, a snake room that has one rack in it, you're you're going to be in for a tough time when it comes to temperatures versus if you have a room that's crammed full of, of animals, you know, it, it's really tough to keep up with, you know, winters, especially up here in New York, you know, Northeast, like you guys, it's tough. Yeah. And being in a, <laughs> yeah. In a, yeah, being in a, a oil heated basement, it gets super dry in the winter. Um, it can be really tough. And, um, a lot of this stuff, I a lot of the snakes I keep are, you know, humidity, light loving animals, and uh, uh, it it can be tricky at times to figure out how to get the parameters that you want, you know. Right. Um, yeah, but it for takes, sure. Uh, you know, 
just, it just takes a lot of messing around. And for example, like right now um, with my blue tongues, um, I keep, uh, I don't keep any Australian species, just the Indos. And like mm-hmm. right now um, I have a gravid Maruki who's due any day. And um, they, the Marukis and the Halmaharas um, need an insane amount of ambient humidity. Like almost, I would say almost 90% would make it. Oh, Jesus. Wow. (laughs) So, so right now uh, for this gravid girl, um, I have those in like big iris tubs. Uh, I'm not sure what model they are. They're discontinued, but somewhere's around three feet by 18 inches by 10 inches tall. Um, That's what I use for my Indo blue tongues. And right now that gravid female, I have the entire tub filled with sphagnum moss. Okay. Like the whole tub now, is filled. Okay. <laughs> That's all the way up to the top too. Just the entire <laughs> like they got to swim through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and this is the first year I'm trying that um because I've had um difficulties uh in the birthing process and right. babies like breaking through their sack and and whatnot. And I think that was uh, completely due to really, really dry conditions. Um, Mm -hmm. So this way I figured, you know what, I'll I'll give her what she wants. You know, if she wants damn near a hundred percent humidity, well, here's a a damp pile of (laughs) them. Yeah. You got it. And uh, it's pretty neat. What I've observed already is obviously the pile of moss is going to raise your ambient humidity as high as you want it. And then right. secondly, I've noticed now, not only does she thermoregulate front to back for heat, she'll, regu- she'll uh, what's the word, hydroregulate top to mm-hmm. bottom to pick the humidity level she wants. So if she's laying on top of the moss, it's less mm-hmm. humid than under buried underneath it, you know? Oh, yeah. wow. And I've, I've found already, like, I'm curious to see what happens when she does give birth in the next few days, but already uh, condition wise, like overall condition, she looks amazing. Um, That's so cool. it's like little, it's little things like this that just, you know, you try something and chances are it's not going to work, but eventually you try something and it's like, boom, that was the, that was the secret sauce, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So have you worked with the Australian blue tongues as well, or I'm just not. curious? Oh, okay. Because they do um, they require the same humidity? Have you heard? Or they do, just they the do not at all. Okay. Okay. That's what um, I thought. I believe um, someone can probably correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the Northerns are pretty tolerant um, of uh, some humidity. Um, whether like I've seen some people keeping them on cypress mulch. And I've seen people keeping them on dry paper. Uh, mm-hmm. And it seems that they all work. Uh, with these uh, Indo blue tongues, dry paper will 100% not work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, and, and I was, I was, you know, I was a victim to that because uh, when the blue tongues really started getting popular again, the last maybe, you know, what, maybe five on racks. And they do great, you know. Uh-huh. And I said, Perfect, you know. <laughs> I already got their setup. Well, you know, all I got to do is add the animals. So, uh, 
being that I'm into the more different stuff, I opted to go with the Indos as opposed to the Australian. Uh, right. And I was in for a rude, rude awakening. Uh, they did they did horrible on newspaper, on dry newspaper. Um, I mean, like, it, it's like such like nuanced stuff, but it, it stands out like clear as day to me. Like, uh, you know, obviously you guys are familiar with Indo pythons, but you know, like, you, you see these fresh imports that yeah. have, like, a sheen. Not iridescence, yes. but it's, like, a sheen. Yeah, in white lips all the time, like, where it's, like, yes. they're too dry or something. They're wrong. Exactly. Something's wrong it's about like, it. Like, <laughs> so dehydrated or something. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was noticing. And I was, like, damn. I was, like, these poor animals. I was, like, they look like shit. Like, I'm, I'm really messing them up. And, uh... It took a lot of tinkering to uh, finally, you know, get them really, you know, looking in prime condition, getting them eating consistently, uh, you know. And uh, eventually what I found works uh, is <laughs> – sounds crazy, but it works. I use basically a full newspaper per tub. Uh, oh, Jesus. And <laughs> Yeah. And I, I wet it down, and essentially they make paper mache out of it. <laughs> no shit. And just let them build their own. It's just yeah, make make their own little wet little hides and all that. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Jesus. And 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 that seems to work out great. And because it's paper, I can crumple it up and throw it out, or in this case, mush it up and throw it out. <laughs> and and they're sanitary again. Right. Because the biggest problem I found with these guys was was keeping them uh, clean. Oh, um, yeah. they, they move around on their bellies. Their belly never, ever, ever leaves the ground. So when they take a shit, <laughs> they slide through it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it yeah, oh, that makes it great. Yeah, they're smart. <laughs> God. So at least this way is with the paper. I can throw it all out, wash the tub, replace the paper, and they're clean again, you know? Right. Uh, get blue tongue skinks, they said. It'll be great. Yeah, they they'd be said. fun and easy, they said. Because <laughs> they know, run through their own shit. <laughs> I, I made I made a meme actually one day. I said, uh um get blue tongue skinks, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And it's a picture of one of my uh blue tongues in the tub and the whole tub is painted in crap. No oh, God. <laughs> uh, that's why I hate Epicrates. It's like you smear yeah. it everywhere, and I hate you. Like you know, Jesus. Yeah, that is actually why I got rid of my uh, Cuban boas originally. Thank you. Um, <laughs> they they were they were probably one of the worst musking species I've ever came across. Ugh. And, no. and they would use their big thick body to like spread it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so when I so moved horrible. my collection from my uh, warehouse space where I had concrete floors that I could just mop up back into my yeah. house with carpeting in the basement, I was like, yeah, no, nah, this ain't going to work. <laughs> Bye. You know, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, damn, I, I hate I, I hate to see you go, but this just ain't going to work out. <laughs> go someplace where somebody can keep you outside, because it's the only yeah. way. Right? Yeah, so. um, exactly. But, Adam, can you run through, like, your approach to breeding 
um, in your place? I mean, specifically, obviously, the diamonds, but, I mean, how do yeah. you go through breeding in all your places with all these different species? Yeah, definitely. And and I also, I didn't forget, I want to get back to, uh, you know, getting the, the diamonds and stuff started. Yeah, um, yep. As far, uh, a normal breeding season for me um, uh, usually starts around mid-October, late October. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as my uh, ambient room temperatures just start naturally dropping with the seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I So I, I basically follow cue with whatever uh, the weather's doing. Um, if we're getting like a really nasty October with like, you know, snow squalls and, and rainstorms and stuff like that, I'll pair stuff up, you know. Yeah. So those low-pressure systems really get these things moving. Um, and even if they don't uh, lock on that first introduction with the, with these uh, low-pressure systems, I think it's a good cue to them that, like, uh, it's that time of year, you know. Mm-hmm. They might uh, – I hate the anthropomorphize, but – um, you know, the snakes bump into each other as a pair and they're like, Oh, well, everybody's out again, you know, might be that time. And you know, <laughs> just like, so I, I think sometimes in the beginning, uh, short random introductions can be beneficial. Uh, mm. can it hurt not doing that? I don't think so, but can it be beneficial? Maybe, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, so I, I start doing that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, normally around late October. Um, especially the, the blue tongues really go early. The snakes, you definitely have more, uh, more of a window. Um, mm. but the blue tongues have a very small window, it seems. So I pair them early mid, mid October for sure. Um, usually around Tinley time. Um, and then I would say once we get those cool nights and cool days in late October, I start, feeding everything pretty heavily. Uh, I want them to get their last meals in uh, and put on some good weight before introduction. Once I introduce, I don't like to distract them with food. Right. Um, and that, and, and that I'll carry through all the way to uh, shoot all the way up to April, I would say. Um, and like I, like I mentioned before, I'm sorry. My ambient temp will be sixty-eight, sixty-nine, steady the whole winter. Oof. Um, okay. It it really doesn't budge. The daytime doesn't go up. The nighttime doesn't go down. Um, and I and uh, everything else stays the same. The 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 heat tape and all that stays the same on the thermostat. You know, and uh, there's no night drop or anything like that. Just uh, naturally uh, cooler ambience more than anything. Um, okay. One thing I will say I think is important, um, even though it's it's out of our control, is the natural uh, daytime nighttime cycles. Um, you know, mm-hmm. shorter days in the winter, longer days in the summer. Uh, so I feel having a window, at least one window, uh, in a herp room is uh, extremely beneficial. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you can certainly. Um, change that with lights of course you know um yeah but i just find it easier and more consistent to just you know open the curtains you know or leave the curtains open i should say and uh and let let the natural light cycles uh take place you know definitely um 
do you offer the diamonds any kind of a, a spotlight hotspot during the winter, or do you just kind of shut them down? Nope, absolutely. The diamonds, uh, my diamonds go full full bore the entire winter. Um, like I said in the beginning, uh, I cooled them to around 55, but I always provided a, a basking spot, uh, mm-hmm. a light, an incandescent basking spot, usually around 95 or so. Um, and, you know, with them basking under that, you know, a couple inches uh, closer to the light, you know, just off their uh, coils, I've temp gunned them at like 110. You know, Jesus. with a fifty-five degree ambient. Yeah, and so then that'll last them for a while. Yeah, they, <clears throat> yeah, they soak that up, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 they're probably actually, uh, again, probably the only species I would consistently feed throughout the winter. Okay. Oh, so you do feed them through the winter? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't. I don't view them as like a uh, as something that goes into a true brumation. Um, I know mm-hmm. some people do and are successful with that, and that's awesome. Um, I just never viewed them that way, so I never kept them that way. I think if I was to keep them that way from the beginning, they'd probably do just as fine. You know, right, mm-hmm. right. I I really am a stickler on uh, how important it is to to raise things consistently from day one. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, and 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 you know it's they, they, it's easy to say like oh yeah it's not consistent if you raise it for three years and then sold it to this guy and then he raised it and sold it to this guy like yeah sure obviously that's not going to make sense but even right. within one collection you know if if you move it from say a tub and then you move it into a cage even though it's in your same room. Those those parameters are going to be totally different. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Regardless if you have your heat tape set at 95 on bulk, the air temperature is going to be different. The humidity is going to be different. You know, everything's going to be different. And, right. And I think uh, when people are constantly moving stuff around and trying new things, it's just, it's just so much stress on these things, you know. Um, I've I never understood... Yo, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, think about when, when us as people move. It's extremely stressful. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. You know? I can attest. And I, think, I agree. I think <laughs> the last thing you're thinking about during a move is, oh, let's make kids. Let's have some more kids. Dear Lord, no. <laughs> right? So, I mean, I, I kind of apply that, that same idea to these things. Like, if we're constantly moving them and and adding stressors into their life, they're not going to reproduce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know the, the the one thing that I it's it's I I I never understood this with like the you know like tricker to breed species. It's like every year they're changing something. Yeah, and I'm like, yes. guys, just stay the same. They're, they yes. they cannot be that difficult to breed. Just mm-hmm. pick it, pick pick whatever thing you fit. Like obviously, there's little tweaks. You know, if you yeah, if you're if you're going along and you see the snake is not thriving, well then obviously you're doing something wrong. But if the snake exactly. is thriving, just let it go. It may take yep. seven years, but <laughs> I I definitely yeah I agree a hundred percent. I definitely want to touch on that for a second because 
it's it's very frustrating sometimes to uh you know see people working with amazing collections and amazing animals and they're constantly doing new things and because of that they don't get uh production good production or any production if at all and it's not because they're keeping them wrong they just mm-hmm. got to stop messing with them mm-hmm. yes and and uh I think that is hands down, as we mentioned in the beginning of the of the show, I think that is probably the most important aspect of reproducing reptiles. Hands off. Leave them yep. alone. Like you said, if they're thriving, if they're eating, they look good, they're shedding, you know, they're not making weird noises or, you know, all that stuff is good, that's it. It's just a waiting game at that point. Right. And uh, I and I think uh, a lot of people just don't have the patience. I think it's very uh, oh, it's, it's upsetting to them if they invest a large amount of money and you know three years down the road they don't have nothing from it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. I, like I understand that, but this is not this is not how it works. <laughs> right. Cause- then you get frustrated and you change something and then you throw this animal off even further or you sell it. And then like we said, with all of the, with any high stress animal, the clock restarts and now it has to get used to a whole different new thing. So hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think both of those scenarios are equally as disruptive, whether it be selling it into a new person's collection or just changing it. Uh, the way you're keeping it in your own collection, I think they're equally as disruptive. Um, yeah, I would agree. And 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 just to uh, get a little further on what you mentioned there, um, I I think it, me personally, any if I'm taking on a new project, I I will always try my hardest to start with babies. And, yeah. And and not just babies, but I mean like hatch like neonates, you know. And, Give it to me out I, of the egg. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what to do. I, yeah, I I actually tell people that as as often as I can. If I, if I have something, if I want something that they have, I'm like, listen, ship it to me as soon as it absorbs, because mm-hmm. I want to get that thing conditioned to my environment as as early on as possible. Um, I think that's important to ensure smooth sailing later on. Um, and I'm and I'm not going to go as far as saying you can't acclimate adults because it certainly can be done, no question. Um, but I think people will find a a much 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 more difficult time with the species uh, if they start with adults versus if they start and raise their own babies. Have you with 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 you doing a bunch of wild caught stuff? Have you found that it's much better to get the little ones in and raise them up and breed them that way than it is to get the adults and just hope. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And, uh, there's an example that really stands out, um, uh, long time ago when, uh, the ornate Euromastic started coming in, um, uh-huh. or I shouldn't say started coming in, but when they were coming in in huge numbers, um, Everybody was buying these adults for cheap. They were absolutely beautiful looking, you know. The colors are amazing. People couldn't resist. And uh, no matter what they were trying, they were just dropping dead. And right. 
and people just couldn't figure it out. They're like, we, we know these things need it hot. Uh, what's the problem here? And uh, it turns out they were essentially all getting um, uh, pneumonia from our ambient humidity in the in the United States. Um, where it come from was is so arid. Uh, so we're talking about like Saudi Arabia, Israel, that area of the Middle East. It is mm-hmm. so hot and dry that even coming here and experiencing 20, 30% relative humidity was way too much for them. Uh, and, and, and the adults just couldn't adapt to it. Like we were talking about. So now finally, uh, people started importing babies and really true hatchlings, you know, they were getting farmed and, uh, and these hatchlings basically had no issues adapting to our uh, conditions. Huh. Yeah. Get him young. With with the, um, in my experience with the Indo blue tongues and with um, Amazon tree boas, um, most notably is uh, your first generation uh, that Uh you produce will almost have no humidity requirement, so to speak. Okay. They just, they just grow to your environment, you know? And and I and I think it works both ways. If you have a really humid herp room, and mm. you produce you know your F ones, and they do excellent for you, I think even though they were produced in captivity, if you sent them to me with a drier room, they w- they mm-hmm. just won't adapt. They won't them, do well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's and the I, one. I, you know, all that all that stuff is uh, super disruptive to the reproductive cycles. Um, as a, as a, as a guideline, I like to give myself five years to establish a cycle before I say either, you know, something's wrong with the pair or it's just not going to happen. Um, but I like to give things five years of consistency. Um, and then, you know, uh, not to jump around too much, but something like a, a Boland's Python it's a, re- it's a large snake that lives in a cool environment. They just yeah. don't grow like Burmese pythons, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you mean they won't be not... 18 foot in two years? What the heck? They're yeah, not the same. Like, <laughs> you're just not going to stuff jumbo rats down that thing and have it breed at two and a half years old. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you kind of got to know what you're dealing with because I would imagine yep. if, if certain things will blend well together, like Indo, Australia, stuff like that. But, you know, we've talked to some people who've had some issues with trying to keep certain South American species in their room with their Australian species and stuff like that. I mean, it, sure. you kind of got to figure out what works best. I mean, you've got three places. Taylor make one to fit these guys and Taylor make the other to fix these guys. Like that's, I'm jealous of you. So (laughs) it's it's tough. And I, and I think um, there's a lot of nuance involved and I, this is like a new, this is a new word I like to use when talking reptiles. And I can thank uh, Michael Costacos for this word nuance. (laughs) I like it. it, That'll be the word of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, man, for sure. Nuance. And I, the way I, the way I look at uh, the way I define nuance uh, when it comes to um, dealing with reptiles 
is uh, essentially being so in tune with the animals that you notice things that go unnoticed. Does that make any sense? Yes. So kind of like what we were saying before with like you get these dehydrated imports that have a sheen on their skin. You know, that, that kind of stuff goes completely unnoticed by 9 out of 10 herpers. Mm-hmm. It, right. and, and I think it's picking up on little things like that that are like make or break. You know, I agree. If, if, you didn't, if you didn't see that and say, okay, well, this animal's dehydrated, I better soak it or whatever you're going to do, whatever it may be. If you don't uh, see that and respond to that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to find yourself with some sticky situations, you know, um, because obviously these things can snowball and go downhill really quickly. Yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna know you're you're I go with your gut. If you walk through your room and take a look at a snake, and you're like something doesn't seem right, you're gonna be the first person that's gonna notice that because you've seen this snake every yeah. day for its entire life. Like, go with that. You know, 100%. don't just ignore it because there's a reason you're feeling that way. So yeah, exactly, exactly. And when these things stray from the norm, there's yeah. a reason for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. if they're uh if they refuse food or the opposite, if they're feeding super aggressively or you know, if they're, you know, not basking anymore, there's always reasons for this stuff. Um yeah. whether they be good or bad, you know, whether they be mm-hmm. you know, they're in a reproductive cycle so their behavior's different or whether they're sick or what have you, you know. Um yeah. little you know, it's it, it's really cliche because a lot of people say it, but, you know, let, let the animals tell you what you need to be doing, you know? Right. Student of the serpent. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, you <laughs> yeah, know, it really, you, you, really <laughs> is, you know, it's so true. <laughs> it's, and I think that's why my albino Darwin drives me so insane because I can never find him when he's going through a shed cycle. He just looks a little off and doesn't eat. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And then he peels. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I hate you so much. It's like, I wish you weren't an albino. I know immediately that you were going through shed, but because you're that color. Yeah, I can't. It's weird. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. Man, albino carpet. You guys still, uh, what are you guys doing with those these days? They're there. <laughs> I mean, I have I have two of them, and that's kind of what it is. Eric's got the uh, he's oh, got, got the projects and the tinkering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Eric's got, got the morphs. <laughs> I got I I yeah, those, actually I just went through today feeding. Uh, they finally are feeding consistently. It's like I have what five albino zebra jags. I'm like, what am I doing with all these? I guess at some point I'm going to have to sell them. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. I I have a tendency to be a little bit of a hoarder. A (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Have you guys, uh, Eric, have you uh, had issues uh, getting them feeding or? (laughs) I have. (laughs) Yes. But you know, yeah. is, that, First, is that because it's a zebra jag or because it's an albino or because it's a both? I mean, I think, well, I've produced albinos and albino jags and albino zebra jags, zebras, all that stuff, albino caramels, uh, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But um, 
all that stuff, yes, difficult to <laughs> – once they're going, no problem. Yeah, rocking. It's just yeah. getting them going. Um, yeah, The first absolutely. year I did it, I, I had to feed them pink heads, you know, uh, sort yep. of uh, assist feed pink heads. Um, this past year I sort of scented with um, uh, lizard um, scent from uh, Reptilinks, and that seemed to work very well. But even then, really? I still had a couple you know, holdouts. I've out. heard good things about that. It's miracle yeah. juice. <laughs> it's amazing. I got and it the was Dominican Tinley, Red Mountain Bows on it. So. Yeah, I guess I guess we can hit on this subject now. But it was at Tinley that we were talking, and you were talking yep. about how, you know, you're like uh, skinks, man. Skinks are that they're and not and. <laughs> They're all yeah, over the place, so, man. I, I remember being in Australia and when I was I when we're talking about it, uh, you know, I'm watching yeah. these skinks on the rock and that's the one thing that kept going through my head. They're friggin' everywhere. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, the way I the way I, I realized this, um was uh anytime I get a new species or, or you know, that's new to me, uh, mm-hmm. the very first thing I do is I research their natural history. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to know. I want to know where they live, how they live, what they eat, what they do, when they're breeding. You know, I want to know as much as I can that's known. You know, uh, sure. And obviously, the more rare the species, the less known. You got to take it with a grain of salt. You know, kind of form your own opinion uh, based off you know experience with other species. You know, um, but um, specifically with diamonds. Uh, I I didn't uh, really uh, research their natural history until I was having these feeding issues with with hatchlings, mm. and uh, and sure enough, as soon as I dove in and googled it, and you know I came across a couple uh, a couple scientific uh, journals, you know, and mm-hmm. one thing that stood out to me was, uh, you know, it was a long time ago now, so I don't recall the exact uh, figures. But say uh, for this one particular study, they found, you know, uh, 20 yearling diamonds. Every single one had nothing but, but lizards in their belly. Hmm. Wow. So right away, I was like, huh. I was like, okay, they're eating lizards. I was like, but I've tried like gnolls and house geckos. and Oh, and at the time, I had tried bearded dragons, leopard geckos. You name it. I tried everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, dumpy tree awesome. frogs, everything. Right. Uh, so I was like, so I was like, okay, they're eating lizards. Now let me see what kind of what lizards lizard. live in yeah. that same area. Same lizard. You know? And mm-hmm. sure as hell, there was like 50 species of skink. Yep. And that was it. That was the aha moment. Um, and then, of course, I was like, okay, well, where the hell do I find small enough skinks, you know? And, yeah. Um, and that was sheer luck. I went to, oh, I forget what, it might have been like a Poughkeepsie, New York reptile show, which I don't even think is a show Oh, it's anymore. gone, dude. Like, that was... Yeah, that's gone. Right? I vented one of those. That thing is gone. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, good, good riddance. <laughs> yeah, that was it was that's a long car ride for not a lot of fun. So yeah. 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 So I, I went there uh not vending. I just figured uh, you know, it's not too far away, I'll stop by and and luck would have it, uh one of the um you know, import uh dealers, he had mm. uh these 
uh, tiny little uh, baby skinks that were uh, Mabuya species, M-A-B-U-Y-A. They're a uh, Asian, Southeast Asian um, genus of skink. Um, I guess you could compare them to like, uh, kind of like our ground skinks, uh, sort of. Okay. Similar. Um, so yeah, that was pure luck. He happened to have three tiny little baby ones that were maybe like an inch long. They were really tiny. Uh, and these were, you know, new, you know, neonate, uh, diamonds. And I got home, I, and I was, you know, I, I, I didn't have any faith in these things because I had tried everything by now. And, right. Uh, I shit you not, I dropped one of those live skinks into the into the six-quart tub, and that diamond, that baby diamond, didn't waste not a millisecond. He flicked his tongue <laughs> one time, and boom. And I was like, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go buy more of these. Like, you know, yeah, geez. yeah, exactly. So that leads me to the next part is, uh, yeah, it's not easy finding uh, cheap feeder skinks. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for for a while, I was spending like five to seven dollars per skink, mm. and and by that point, they were too small to be a meal. So I was feeding like two or three at a time. So you're talking oh, like $20 a week per snake. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this this, this isn't going to work. <laughs> right. So, Something else needs uh, to happen. Yeah. So what I ended up doing from that was uh, I've always, I've always been interested in like scenting techniques and stuff like that. Uh, and I'll, I, I just want to finish this thought, then I'll come back on scenting other stuff. Um, uh-huh. get, again, my, my buddy, uh, Mike Kosako's, he gave me this idea. He said, "He said, uh, why are you why are you feeding all these uh, actual skinks off?" He goes, "Just make a slushy." No. <laughs> no. I, 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 you know, I was like, "What do you mean make a make a slushy?" And and sure enough, I I took a frozen skink, I uh, blended it up with a little bit of warm water, uh, made like a a soup. I hate to be gross, but it is. <laughs> right. Uh, I made a, I made a skink soup. And uh, put it in a little plastic container, threw it in the freezer. And uh, every time I need to feed a, a skink-scented uh, rodent, I take it out of the freezer. I put a frozen fuzzy or what have you uh, on it uh, in the container while it's frozen. And then I let it partially thaw out. And once there's enough liquid to kind of stir the frozen fuzzy around a little bit, uh-huh. that's it, man. The, that scent is so absorbed by then into the rodent that in my opinion based off the snake's feeding responses it must be identical to a to the real thing um, uh, and i kind of think that's where all the scents come from like at reptilinks because i think they just take the liquid from a yeah. sl- from like slushies and just put it in a bottle <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly i think they're they should make a skink slushy yeah <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I'd be curious to hear what species they're using, uh, because I found skinks are like the cure-all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I man. found it worked for carpets. I found it worked for diamonds. I found it worked for uh, children's uh, antaricia. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I've done. Oh, I I recently used it with a uh, 
uh, Philodamnus, which is a uh, rear-fanged African colubrid. Um, and and I use this same method uh, of a slushy with whatever uh, other species may eat. So I in my freezer, I have a skink slushy, I have a gecko slushy, I have a frog slushy, and I have a toad slushy. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. But I'll tell you, it it covers every species I've came across that needed scenting. And it, Whatever. And, yeah. and it works with great results. Did you find that the gecko, I mean, I guess you're using skinks for your carpets and diamonds. Did you ever try gecko? Did that work at all? Oh, yeah, I tried everything, man, and nothing else worked. Nothing, yeah, skinks were it. Nothing. I tried everything with them, and, uh, yeah, skinks was it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had some success. So they have, yeah, the, their stuff is gecko juice, and I had some success with that. And Okay. You know, but then there were still even some, some holdouts. But, like, I do have a baby diamond python now, and, yeah, same thing. It's, you know – settling in and now it's getting picky and you know <laughs> gotcha. oh, son of a gotcha. bitch here we go <laughs> yeah i guess I i'm gonna say, have to ma- make my own uh skink slushy slushy there you go skink slushy that's it man <laughs> with with the diamonds though i found once once they got eating like consistently even on the scented once it was consistent yeah they, they just became ravenous oh yeah like like more so in my experience than carpets, even just like I, I would almost go as far as saying my diamonds are almost always the most aggressive feeders in my collection. Yeah, they would be. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, yeah I don't know yeah, why. Eat, <laughs> it feels so weird. You'll come in that like so. I have a cool room and a hot room, and I, I come into the the diamonds are in the cool room, and the ambient in here is like maybe sixty to seventy degrees somewhere in there. You know, at night it it gets down a little bit but um they're ready to eat man it's like and it just oh, feels yeah. wrong for a python you're just like this is just not right it just doesn't seem right <laughs> you know especially especially the females uh every oh. one of my females i ever had they'll they'll catch the rat midair like i'll throw it in the cage and yeah, they, yeah. it won't hit the ground yeah yeah it's, it's crazy. Crazy. also dear god don't let your hand get that close you know exactly. I do not exactly. want to take one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and just, just to uh, um, to reinforce that, actually, so on the same um, journal where I got the idea for the skinks, the ones that uh-huh. stated that everyone had eaten lizards as babies, mm-hmm. every um, subadult through adult that they had looked at had rodents in its belly. Jeez. Oh yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So, so, so there's a there's a definitive line where they go from reptile feeders to rodent feeders. Right. Well, even um, even coastal carpets. Um, when when we were with Scott, he was showing us that. Um, you know, he actually showed us the species of skink that the the baby carpets are eating, and he's like, you oh, know, that's they'll awesome. eat these until they get you know to this size, and then once they get this size, <laughs> exactly. then it's rodents. You know, it's mammals. That, that is so cool. Yeah, yeah, but uh, and and you know it makes sense because I I'd have to imagine that they're inhabiting similar niches, uh, similar microclimates. Um, I I I can't 
I would find it really hard to picture a uh, baby diamond, you know, perched up in a tree. You know, I, I just <laughs> I would find it so hard. To <laughs> you know, I I think that in my opinion, I think the babies spend their time on the ground or very close to the ground. Yeah. 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 I would agree. I, I keep thinking of the. I can't remember if it's in the Blue Bible, you know, the reproduction of uh, bows yep. and pythons, where they have that picture, and it's a diamond python eating a skink. I think it's in that book, or it might be Australian. Oh, really? It's either that one, or it's in the like Australian uh, python book, one or the other. But it's clearly, you know, it's like this big blown up <laughs> picture of this baby diamond python eating a skink. I'll have to see if I can find That's it. That's awesome. Well, so, yeah, I mean, cool. if that's where they're going to that, – if that's the smallest thing in the area, that's what they're going to eat. Yeah. I mean – Exactly. What what Adam was talking about earlier about the fact that, like, he feeds through winter, I find that if it's a diamond python and, say, it spends, like, a couple hours warming up and on its way back something runs across, I'm pretty sure it's going to take yep. it. Like, it, it's going to nail whatever food that was. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Yeah. And, and, you know, and just, and again, like you said, you know, even when they're eating like all winter long, sure as hell, mm. when that female goes full on reproductive, meaning, you know, her follicles are developing much faster now and she's really in the full swing of things, she'll shake her head no, you know? Yeah, they're like, no, the thing, I'm good. Nope, I don't want any more food, you know? Yeah. And it's actually, it's, uh, I've, I've actually seen that, it's funny, in a lot of boas, they will actually shake their head no. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously they're saying, "Hey, get that rat away from my nose." But <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, if they if they don't want to eat, they're not going to eat. You know. Um, right. Now again, it, the same cannot be said across the board. There's some species that will just eat, eat, eat until they're so obese they die. Olives, Womas, yeah, like you know, you have to yep. turn, you have to turn it off. You have to no. You got to turn I'm not it here off. To exactly. You. <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. God. You got to turn it off. And I think I think um, back in the day with that, you know, remember uh, um, Diamond Python Syndrome? <laughs> they uh, all died. Yeah, it's like yeah. So, and oh, I think, must be a species thing. It's like that. No, <laughs> like that's right. not. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like oh, that makes sense. These things. They have all to die at the age of four. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like no. You kept them ninety degrees year round and fed them once a week. Yeah. No. You know these things just uh, they're they're super opportunistic, and I think that what goes along with being opportunistic is feast or famine. Right. Uh, you know, when there's food around, they're going to eat and eat and eat. But guess what? There's not food around year round. <laughs> True. So they have to eat when it's available. Like you were saying, whether it be winter or whether it be summer, I think they're going to take a meal when, whenever they can, you know, and, and if they can <laughs> use it, uh, meaning, you know, fully digested and not, uh, develop adverse uh, health issues like obesity from it, then give it to them, you know? Right. Um, and the same goes with, uh, you know, all uh, all the other species I keep during breeding season is, uh, like I said, I, I try not to distract them with food. When I see that, you know, maybe they just took a dump and they look a little thin or 
or maybe the male's really been working hard and he's losing a little weight. Up, I pull them apart, I feed them, and the next day they go right back together. You know, right. Well, I I kind of think that in captivity, people don't really do it as like, yeah, it might take a big meal, but then literally it could go a month, two months, just having to never see another meal. Like, you know, yeah, it's kind of sure. like that. Price wow. size has a ton to do with uh, frequency. Thing. Yep. Yeah, yep. definitely. And, and uh, it's funny you mention that because I guess like, um, like one little thing that I do uh, during breeding season that I guess you know kind of goes goes on subconsciously for me is I guess I kind of decrease the prey size a little bit maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, like if uh, something was eating small rats, I might give it a mouse, you know? Makes sense. Yeah. Um, And to be honest, that might just be like one of my weird little quirks that I do. It might not have any effect at all. But um, definitely uh, the smaller meals are obviously uh, quicker to digest, so less less taxing on the the systems. But but that makes sense to me because a big thing might be – hiding and it might be that smaller thing that has to run around and that's what the diamonds or whatever python's going to catch. So that makes yeah, sense for sure. to me. Yeah. I think I think when people feed big meals all the time, that is so taxing on their bodies, you know? So uh, I shouldn't feed rabbits to my diamond is what you're telling me every <laughs> other week. I just want to get that clear. Maybe once a year, and then never feed it again. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the thing of it is, too, like, you know, their bodies, like, shut down. There was that paper that came out about Burmese pythons where they're, like, their internal organs shrink, and they, like, yep. you know, uh, you know, all the, the, like, it's pretty much, like, turned off, which is kind of amazing in itself, but then... You know, if you put that big meal in their system, you're like overloading it. So, like yeah. whenever I'm going back in, because I don't feed through the breeding season, but really I'm only doing yep. carpets, carpets and you know Morelia stuff. Um, sure. But I'll give them a couple small meals till they get you know to get their system going again, and then give them a bigger meal as I get closer to the summertime. You know. Yeah, yeah that's. So. I agree. I agree a hundred percent for sure. Um, I'll, I, I rarely, uh, rarely feed, uh, big, big meals. And by big meals, I mean, something that gives it a real noticeable stretch, you know? Right. Um, well, I should say I, my I big meal is a large rat, so <laughs> yeah. not really a big meal yeah. in some worlds, but exactly. yeah, I got what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I agree a hundred percent, man. I think it's just totally unnecessary. And, and especially if you are going to do that, I, if you are going to go with, large really large meals i think it's just important to give them a very long time to really process that meal yeah yeah i uh and access to high temperatures (laughs) yes 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 definitely i I got a bunch of quail like adult quail and i thought Mm -hmm. they were about the size of my medium rats no no they're about the size of my large rats so i fed them and then all the animals that ate them had these giant bulges and i'm like well i'll see you guys and like Four weeks, maybe. I don't know. You guys are done. (laughs) We're not doing that again. (laughs) Did you you guys ever feed such a big meal that the day after the lump was bigger because the rat, like, started rotting? 
<laughs> yes. It was like, oh God, just just get through it or puke it. Just just yeah. eat, exactly. eat, digest or throw it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh so as far as like um uh food cycling, yeah, I guess I do somewhat. Uh it's it, for the most part it's pretty subconscious for me, you know, cuz I I do offer throughout the winter just maybe slightly smaller, maybe slightly less often, right. maybe slightly fewer meals to the male, maybe. Right. Okay. Well, from talking to all these people from over the years, you find like I don't know about you, Owen, but I found that like even when people think they don't cycle, they really kind of do, do. Even if it's a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know? yep. like I don't drop temperatures. Yeah, but it's thirty degrees outside. <laughs> like, oh, or affect your temperatures. Or your even, I couldn't agree more, man. I even then, more. you get lazy around the holidays and you're not down there all the time, and the temperature's going to fluctuate a little bit. It's like, yeah, whatever. Exactly. It's like, yeah. And then you're not it. feeding as much, <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So, it's I got it. It's just everybody. Everybody accidentally it's, does stuff, you know. You got a big a really ass window in your room, and it's just like you know the day cycle and the night cycle and the moon cycle, yeah. and all. <laughs> I had to throw that yeah. in there, Owen. You did. You did. <laughs> I hate you for that. There's a lot that goes into play that is is either out of our control or we just simply don't control it. You know, right. like. like Good, you know, if you're busy around the holidays, well, that totally directly translates to messing with the snakes less. You know, yeah, yeah. Which, which even could go. You could even take that even a step further and say, okay, maybe I'm filling up water bowls a little less often, so they're going to dry out a little bit. Well, guess what? That might signal a dry season type event. You know, yeah, um, sure. Which would be breeding season. You know, so. There's like so many little things going on that could be triggers for these animals that, frankly, we don't need to control. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Let and the, I think uh, that's the... why, like, uh, a lot of times, um, people try to apply uh, so, uh, science or data or a formula to reptiles and. There's just so many variables that you couldn't convince me you did it all on your own, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. And and yeah. I think that's a No, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think that's just like uh it's one of those things that's just so important yet it's it's lack thereof that that makes it that way. Um, yeah. I like to I like to use the uh the saying um, with reptiles sometimes, uh, some of the, when people ask, you know, what did you do to breed this or, or what's the trick? Um, and I don't say this to new keepers because it could definitely get taken the wrong way. But right. they, thrive, they thrive off neglect. Mm. Right. You know, yeah. if, I've heard- <laughs> if, you're, if you're not bothering them and, you know, and you kind of just forget about them. And as long as they have water and they're warm. They get, they're gonna do what snakes do, you know. Yeah. Right. It's same same well, thing with lizards. I got the mangrove monitors to lay eggs, and people are like, how'd you do it? I left them the hell alone. <laughs> like I didn't do <laughs> I didn't do anything. I just gave them food and didn't touch them. Yeah. Like yeah, that's, yeah, I got it. So. Yup. Exactly. With the monitors, uh, again, Frank Reedus, he always said, uh, "Keep them hot, feed them a lot." <laughs> yeah. And that's it. You know, and that is it. 
that's really all it is, you know? And, 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 and it's funny because conversely to what we were just saying, stuff like monitors, stuff like Burmese pythons, uh, you know, I could go on. There's plenty of stuff. You can keep them hot and feed them a lot. You can. Right. It works. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with most stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they are the exception, not the rule. Yeah. So yeah, I got it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you're kind of you're kind of involved in a lot of different sectors of the reptile hobby. Do you find that like people start with like say a corn snake or a ball python, and they think that they get this idea that it's sort of like everything sort of fits into that mold, you know, like, Oh, I can um, read those. <laughs> I, you know, to be honest, I, I think, uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think people overthink it and I think they, they try to do a different thing for every species. And I think that gets them in trouble. Um, yeah. and I think, uh, a lot of, like I was saying earlier, a lot of this stuff is kind of cookie cutter. Once you, once you have your fundamentals down pat, you know, once you're, once you, you can, once you physically know what, you know, you know, what temperatures are safe, what humidity levels are safe, you know, once you have all that, you can kind of go off of that. But for a new keeper, I think they tend to see things as each species is completely different, you know. Um, okay. I can see that. But I think, uh, I think it's important to start with, um, for different people to start with different things because, uh, I, like I wouldn't, I'm, I would never recommend, uh, a ball python as a first snake for somebody. Nope. Right. <laughs> they, 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 yep. they can, they can be picky feeders. The babies can be downright nippy. And to be honest, right. one of the worst bites I ever got was from a ball python. They got big teeth, you know? Eric yeah. gets bit and, by every ball python we touch. It's like we go over <laughs> and, like, somebody's Everybody, house, and we're like, yeah. we're going to help clean. He opens the drawer, some, like, spider ball yep. comes flying out and nails him. And I'm like, how? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been, and, and, I've, I've been bit so, by carpets. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish, finish what you're saying. No, I was going to yes. say, I've been bit by carpets, like, maybe – I don't know. Maybe two carpets bit me over the last year. Every time I'm with a ball python, I get bit. Every time. <laughs> <Nailed you. laughs> exactly. And and you so. know, so same reason for those reasons, I wouldn't recommend say a ball python for a first snake. There's multiple reasons, and I think it's because uh, ball pythons and corn snakes as well, but ball pythons more so. They are super tolerant of mistakes of neglect uh right. of of wrong conditions i mean you can you can cook a ball python and leave mm-hmm. it with no water for a week and it's perfectly uh-huh. okay right you know and i think sometimes uh say something like that would just give a new keeper the wrong idea you know right uh, yeah. because certainly if you uh try to keep something if you try to keep most things like a ball python it's not going to work right <laughs> yeah i yeah. mean those 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 things like it hot man they yeah. really yeah. do and and so, again like i said they they don't uh they certainly can make do without water for a while <laughs> and i think that's well, how the ball python explosion came to be is is 
they thrive off neglect. So people were able to really <laughs> hoard them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. But, uh, so I wanted to, uh, I wanted, to, so I saw in the pictures that you sent me that you sent me, uh, Halma Harris scrubs. Are you working with them currently? Or is that oh, something yeah. that you work so, with? In the- uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I had one, uh, and, uh, it was a very short term, uh, animal I had. I had gotten one. Uh, I'm not sure what, I forget what pictures I sent you exactly, but I received a, uh, a baby, um, not okay. a hatchling. Um, but it was, it was a baby, maybe, uh, maybe two foot. Um, right. unfortunately, uh, I bought it as a female, ended up being a male. And on top of that, it had some kind of, uh, not an impaction, but it had something stuck inside of it. Oh God! Gotcha. Like it, it almost it almost seemed like I had eaten or it had swallowed a rock or something like that. It, it felt mm-hmm. like a urate, but it was way too high for it to be a urate. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but that was the unfortunately that was the extent of my experience with uh, Tracy A. Um, gotcha. Uh, I would love to work with some again, but like I was saying, I especially with Indo-Pythons, I really prefer to start with babies. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it really makes the world a difference. And I'm not saying that you certainly can't acclimate adults and, and produce them because uh, uh, I forget what zoo it was, but they, they obviously just did. Um, oh, Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think in my personal opinion, if I was to uh, start a Tracy A project, I would uh I would go for the smallest, youngest uh possible animals and I would uh keep them um cool and dark. Um, yeah. I I think a lot of these uh species are, are incredibly shy and uh and I think keeping them in cages with, with basking lights or, or fluorescent lights and you know, constantly uh, misting them or or what have you, I think it's just it's just so stressful on these things, you know. Sure. And 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 I think uh, a hands off approach uh, would go a long way, you know. And I and it's not surprising to me that um, a zoo might have had uh, success at first with them because nowadays they have such strict protocols that these keepers aren't just opening cages and taking snakes out to show everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, <laughs> when some of our private collections get, you know, some really neat specimens, you always you know, we, show them off. we want to show them off to our friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's, uh, I think that's extremely disruptive to, the, to their uh, reproductive cycles like we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had more to tell you about Tracy A., I'd love to work with them again uh, at some point, but I just right. haven't came across the right imports that I was comfortable with. I'm with you, man. Yeah, I've had them multiple times, and every time it's like they do great, they do great, and then you know, boom, they, they yeah. boom, they drop off. So yeah, I'll be patient yeah. and wait. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Give it, give it a few years. We'll see them pop up. <laughs> yep. This is they're like they're the first zoo animal thing that we really want that's actually in the U.S. Other ones, like man, I would yeah. love Owen Pelly's, but though we're in Australia, like we're going to wait forever. These are here. <laughs> They'll get there. <laughs> it's like you know, it'll right. be all right. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I bet you sooner or later we'll have Owen Pelly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, lo- I, mean I look at my rough guys. scales and I'm like, soon, one day, something else will be here like you. It's like, yeah, it'll be all right. Yep. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, Adam, we, we're going to close it out, and we have uh, – you usually ask uh, people at the end of each show just some fun, stupid little questions, and uh, uh, but they can sometimes be the hardest of all to answer. Um, and we'll start with this one. If you could keep any reptile without limitations from price, availability, or law, what would it be and why? Yeah, for sure. This is This is an easy one for me. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> for, for sure. No, no question about it. <laughs> uh, to right. me, they're just they're just the pinnacle to me. I mean, I I don't think it gets any more uh, top tier predator than that. And from people I've talked to that have um, worked with and bred many species of crocodilian. Um, they seem like uh, again. I hate to answer for more size, but they seem to be a, a higher a higher level of intelligence than uh, other reptiles. Um, and I think you can get a taste of that in uh, varinids and monitors. I think mm-hmm. you can really uh, start to get a peek into what's going on in in these guys' heads. But I think crocodilians, um, crocodiles in particular, I think really take that to a next level. I think they're super aware. I think they're super in tune with their uh, keepers, with their surroundings, with their um, with their other individual of the species, with their um, breeding um, partners and whatnot. You know, uh, yeah. I just find that stuff fascinating. Um, not so much the danger aspect. I was never really. <laughs> a, I was never like into like the big snakes and the big monitors. Never that stuff. Never did it for me. Um, but just the. Uh, uh, the level of intelligence that I think those guys uh, can have uh, as an effect on your keeping. You know, I think mm-hmm. you have to really, really be on your toes uh, as far as what to expect out of them. Right. And I, yeah. I enjoy things that keep me thinking, you know? Yeah. And that'll do it. I mean, you know, and I, and I had to put legality because, you know, I guarantee you they're probably illegal in New York. I mean, all the good <laughs> yeah. stuff, all, all, all the other stuff is. But um, uh, yep. next one is if you could go herping anywhere yep. in the world, where would you go and what would you be hoping to find? Yeah, for sure. I would definitely, uh, I would definitely love to go to Australia one day. I think that's, I think that's just really, really hard to beat. Um, I would love to see the. Uh, I would love to see a Parenti in the wild. I think that would be mm-hmm. incredible. That um, would be cool. I'm really, I, I really don't pick favorites. So, um, to be honest, like seeing the smallest nondescript skink in the outback would be just as cool to me, you know. Um, but a Parenti <laughs> would be, you know, the, ice, the icing on the cake. But uh, I will say though that I really personally want to hurt our country more we have amazing diversity of animals in this country and it's it's hard to beat i mean we have so many different um climates and regions in in our one country that i mean you could you could hurt your whole lifetime and probably not see everything you know yeah i mean 
We 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 haven't talked about that, but I mean, like, can you imagine going out to like Arizona, Texas, and checking out those things, or even just going up uh, further up in PA and looking for timbers and stuff like that? I mean, oh, absolutely, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, it'd be so cool. Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't really think. I think there's very few people that could genuinely say that they've found every native herb species to even their state. Not to mm. mention the entire U.S., you know. Yeah. And and there's wow. we have we have some really amazing species here. So I I genuinely want to uh, get out uh, across the country some more and and do some herping here. And it's a really fun way to waste a day. Like you know, I <laughs> I did I did not I did not regret regret putting on a wetsuit and going into a river looking for hellbenders, even though it was like hard as shitty work like you know it That's was awesome, still man. fun yeah we didn't find it but it was still great <laughs> like, you know yeah, awesome. <laughs> definitely definitely i mean uh i i always enjoy getting out uh here in new york and seeing copperheads and, and timbers you know and yeah and it's, uh, you got you got to work for those man they're only up in the elevation so you got to really uh hoof it up these mountains if you want to see them mm-hmm but uh, yeah, I definitely would love to do some more herping, both uh, foreign and domestic, for sure. Awesome. So I guess the last thing we want you to do is uh, throw out any way that anybody can get in contact with you if they want to check up what kind of cool projects you got going on. Want to talk your off about some funky collier brids? Uh, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, do you have a website? Anything out there? Cool. Cool. Yeah. Definitely. Uh... Um, you can always uh, contact me on my personal Facebook page, which is Adam G, G-E-E. Um, if it's specifically ball pythons you're looking for, I specialize in uh, all sorts of pied uh, combos, um, and I have a page for that. It's Exclusive Pied Buyers Club. Uh, I have a page <laughs> and a group for that. And then uh, <laughs> as far as the uh, rarer stuff, I have uh, – uh, reptile finder so you can go to facebook uh, reptile finder instagram reptile finder or reptilefinder.com um if you're looking for something that uh you just are having a hard time finding um but oh any, this is a dangerous thing see, i love talking <laughs> herps to people and uh i think it's the best way to learn is constantly networking and hearing people's perspectives so i always like to share information and uh and it's it's uh, always nice to be able to uh, share, you know, different species with different people, you know. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on and uh, chatting with us for sure. It was uh, definitely yeah, man. I, I really appreciate it, guys. It was a good time, and uh, maybe we'll do this again soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I don't think we got into all the uh, all the stuff uh, that we wanted to get into, so we can always bring you back on for that stuff. So, yeah, man. lots of stuff I'd love to uh, touch on some more for sure. Okay. Maybe right. some. Uh, maybe next time we'll do some like basins and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, we didn't totally. even touch on that. I, I know. Said, <laughs> Damn it! Oh uh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll line up. Now we'll we got another episode for sure. <laughs> cool deal, man. Maybe later on the summer when I got some babies on the ground, we'll share some pictures. We'll talk some other stuff. Perfect. Okay. Cool. Love it. Sounds good. <laughs> awesome, man. Cool, right. guys. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for having me on the show tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good night. Totally. Thanks, guys. You too. Cool.
Cool, cool, cool. Man, that's a lot of diversity going on there, Owen. That's kind of like what you're I... juggling. <laughs> Ouch. Um, oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm, well, I guess I mean, not ouch. Well, I mean, you got a lot of, like, colubrids and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, dude, you have I, – I moved the rhinos from their cages into bigger cages because they're getting too big. And then I moved okay. the Chinese king rats from their cages into new cages because they're getting too big. And I'm like, damn, colubrids and their growth rate. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is insane. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Great. Rob's going to see awesome. my rhinos, and he's like, what have you done? Why are they you so big? Them. Yeah, I, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to. Rob's not allowed to look at my rhinos. Like, he's, uh, he has to leave the room if anybody wants to see them. Like, I don't right. want Rob judgment on my rhinos. So, awesome. but. All right. Um, I, I love the diversity. Have... Keeps things spicy, and then you end up just getting retics, and then you don't know what the hell is going on over here anymore. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> just, just as long as you it. don't have royal pythons, then you know the that, world that is will a be pretty... at peace. But if you get yeah. royal pythons, dude, I don't know what's that, gonna happen. <laughs> that bridge shall never be crossed. I shall, of course, I did say that about retics. Crap. Um, no, yes, the bridge will never be crossed. Uh, All right, so we got to draw the line somewhere, and we're gonna draw it okay. there. So yeah. <laughs> I will get close if I ever get Angolan pythons. It's the closest I will be. Yeah, you poo-pooed them for a while, and then you were like, uh, oh, they might be constantly, and then it's not they fair. Might be pretty I, cool. That's why, that's why I cannot get them until people have forgotten <laughs> what I've said right. about them. And, okay. you know, the other problem is that Rob's going to show up and be like, so you just got Angolan pythons. Let's go to the clips. And then I'll be like, son of a bitch. So, <laughs> yeah. Goddamn clips. Goddamn um, clips. So next week, I'm not. Um, I'm not exactly sure, 100% who's going to be. It's between me and Rob talking to somebody to nail it down. I don't know if that's going to be next week or not. But then the following week, we got Bill Stegall coming on <coughs> from Phoenix Reptiles. Bill? Yeah. <laughs> Bill's coming on. Yes, can he we is. ask him what it's like to be retired now? Yes, we can. <laughs> Does he have a walker? Or is that, I assume they give that to oh. you when you're retired, right? Oh. Just going to slide oh. the knife right in, just like <laughs> right between the ribs. Like, yeah, slowly. Rob, can you anyway. make a clip of that last comment no. on the show in two weeks? <laughs> you shut up, Rob Stone. <laughs> so, but no, um, that's cool. We haven't spoken to Bill in a while. No, yeah. a long time. It's been a long time. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, he was just on the uh, Condro cast uh, a couple weeks ago, but um, oh, I just... see. So he made he made the rounds on other podcasts. We're gonna drag him back so that he remembers that you know us, like you know, <laughs> don't you yeah. go too far now. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> exactly. Yes. Reel him back in. <laughs> you had fun on other places, but now you come back home. Like, I got it. <laughs> so, I can't remember if he said that he was um, – um, I can't remember if he said he was breeding his roughies or not. Yes. I think he was, but he wasn't getting any yeah. action. Maybe it was. Yeah, that was it. He, okay. he, did, he did the same thing I did where, you know, we put them together, and uh, I think he maybe got a little bit more of a cuddling cohesiveness than I did. Cause I put mine right. together and I'm like, you'll figure it out. And I come downstairs and the females like up against the glass. I'm like, no, okay. This is not working out well. So it was, uh, yeah. 
Like she was trying yeah. to get the hell away from him. So they've been separated and everybody's much calmer and happier. So, right. but uh, maybe next year, there's always next year. They ain't going anywhere. So See, hopefully I, Bill I, has success with that. I, 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 I strategically went after a Place female yourself. because I figure by the time that female is of One age, of you morons will get it. <laughs> somebody will have bred them. Somebody Good just Lord. give me a boy. It's like, I got it. In yeah. uh, in Australia, they said they breed them like cockroaches down there. I mean, like they're well, yeah, again, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, yeah, but, but look at it this way: Can I breed a corn snake without paying attention? Yeah, wanna know why? Because they're from here. So you know, right. it's geez. that's true. That's true. Thank you. I give you that. All right, so that's that. And then, um, yeah, as far as us, uh, Radio dot com, still working on that uh, site, getting it. Switched over. Almost there. Um, Come on. If you want to finish up the show, then you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so I'm already pythonradio.com. Um, and then for myself, it's, uh, well, for, like I said at the beginning, I forgot about this. You can now yeah. listen to the show on Spotify. Um, and don't forget there's Stitcher, obviously iTunes, and, you know, whatever other podcast app that you shall choose. Um, but, um, yeah. So Facebook, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. You can follow us over there, um, and see what we have going on. And then for myself, it's ebmorelli.com. Uh, and yeah, you can just, uh, check out all the stuff that I have going on from there. Definitely. Um, what I'm going to do real quick before I get into my stuff is, uh, throw something out there. Um, good friend as well as constant guest on the show, uh, Chris Foley, uh, lost his mom this past week and, oh, yeah. uh, he set up a, uh, donation. Of course, you know, uh, we want the best for Chris and everything that's going on with him, but he set up a uh, fundraiser for his mom to donate money to a local animal shelter. So, uh, I'll throw that up on our pages for that. Uh, and, okay. uh, We'll see how he's doing with that later on, but uh, definitely hate seeing that. So, for sure, sucks. Um, and then for me, I forgot my stuff. Right, it's uh, rogue-reptiles.com. You can go there, check it out. Everything's working with the whole communication thing. We got that working. So, if you see a baby you like, let me know. I'm running low on animals though, because we're kind of dipping down into it i'm out of bread lie like they're gone dude <laughs> like so if you see something you like act now act fast um as far as shows coming up uh i will attend the april hamburg and the april oak show but i will not be vending and uh, i could possibly deliver to white plains so let me know if you want to get anything like that you can also follow me on instagram mm-hmm. at mac oj over on instagram Okay, cool. And that's all and that's all we got. So we'll say everybody thank you all for listening and we're gonna catch everybody back here next week for some more Merlia Python radio. Good night. <laughs>